Hello and welcome to Required Reading, the podcast that revisits the most impactful books from our childhood. I'm your host, Erin Bowles. I'm an actor and writer, and I am on strike. Our guest today is Yamini Nambimaran. She is an actress, writer, and comedian based in LA. She hosts the podcast Pillow Fight, a sleepover-themed pop culture and current events podcast, as well as the bi-monthly comedy variety show Chicago Tens. Her buddy comedy short California Sober is currently in pre-production, so stay up to date at at Cali Sober Film on Instagram. And at any other time, Yamini can be found everywhere at Show Me the Yams, Y-A-M-Z, announcing her silly little opinions in the town square. Welcome, Yamini. Hi, thanks for having me. The book today is From the Mixed Up Files of Mrs. Basil E. Frank Weiler by E.L. Koningsberg. This is my favorite book we've done on the podcast easily. I Gosh, loved yes. this book. Your so, version is so thick. This is funny. I read it on a PDF. And then this past weekend on a whim, I went to this used bookstore in Simi Valley. And they had this, which is all three of her like biggest books all together for a dollar. So I was like, okay, serendipity. She is a two-time Newbery winner which only six people have done, and she holds the record for the longest time between Newberries. 67 for Mixed Up Files, and then in 97, she got another one for The View from Saturday. That's kind of cute, because that's yeah. like, I don't know, I was born in 98, not 97, but my parents were both born in 67, so. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. 1967, like you said, Vietnam War is going on, protests across the country. It's the summer of love. Loving v. Virginia is in front of the Supreme Court. It is decided that laws banning interracial marriage are unconstitutional. Thurgood Marshall is confirmed as Justice of the U.S. Supreme Court, and he's the first African-American to hold the position. And we see the birth of the first ATM. Fun! E.L. Konigsberg is Elaine Lobel Konigsberg. She was born in Manhattan in 1930 and raised in Pennsylvania. She seems to be from like a very blue-collar upbringing. She was an avid reader, but says reading was only tolerated in her family, not sanctioned like dusting furniture or baking cookies. <laughs> so to earn money for college, uh, she worked as a bookkeeper at a meat plant, and that's where she met her future husband. And she went to college at Carnegie Mellon, majored in chemistry with what she said, her artistic side essentially dormant, because the purpose of college was to become a something, a librarian, a teacher, a chemist, a something. And she is the first person in her family to earn a degree. She has three kids. It seems like she was very carefully planning, like, what do I want to do when I have an empty nest? And the answer to that was she published her first two books in the same year and won the Newbery for one of them and got a Newbery honor for the other one. She says that Mixed Up Files was inspired by her children complaining at a picnic. She inferred that if they ever ran away, they would certainly never consider any place less elegant than the Met. And she describes her characters as being softly comfortable on the outside and solidly uncomfortable on the inside. She taught at a girls' school for a while and learned that all of these, you know, young women who have it all were just as uncomfortable as she was growing up. And she talks about wanting to write for her kids who are not going through, you know, the the things that she went through of, like, worrying about if you're going to be able to replace, you know, these worn-out pairs of shoes. But those kids still have the same basic problems and questions. She says, the kids I write are asking for the same things I wanted. They want two contradictory things. They want to be the same as everyone else, and they want to be different from everyone else. And they want acceptance for both. I love her. I love her. I know she wrote, like, all of her stories were about, like, her kids and then her grandkids. Cute. Sweet. And I love that it seems like one of the biggest pillars is treat kids with respect and take their word for things. So how did this book come to you? What's your story with the book? I don't remember how it originally came to me. I remember, I want to say that like one of my mom's friends told her, I really think your daughter will like this book. And I read it probably maybe second grade, I want to say. I was like a big advanced reader. I loved reading and I definitely devoured the book. And I think it was like, it had a young female protagonist who I think reading it back, like I really understand why I resonated with her so much. And she had a little brother and that that was the same as me. And then when I was in fourth grade, it was required reading for school. But I remember I was like, I had already read it. So I was like, I don't need to pay as much attention like when we do it in school this time. And then I 
kind of flunked a pop quiz. Oh, no. <laughs> and then I had to like take it home and get my mom's signature on it because I like did badly. And I tried to forge her signature, but badly. And I had to like, it was like this whole thing that was just so funny to me. But I remember we took the pop quizzes like because it was about Michelangelo, like because yeah. Michelangelo is featured in the book. Like he was known for painting the Sistine Chapel and lying on his back and painting above him we took the pop quizzes like under our desks with the quiz like taped to the bottom of the oh my gosh like that being a cute thing that like my teacher did (laughs) to like make it more fun but I hadn't read the books since then since fourth grade so coming back to it was definitely like such a joy to revisit like I remember it was about kids running away to the Met but I didn't really remember all the complexities of it and I always loved the name Claudia. Like, I always really loved it. I thought it was such a pretty name. And I think mm-hmm. this is why. I think this is, like, the origin of me really liking that name. I loved this book. I loved that it felt so adult. I loved that it, like, felt like a film noir almost. And it felt like like a Raymond Chandler novel. And, like, Jamie, the nine-year-old, should be, like, chain-smoking the whole time. This is the second book that my mom had said was one of her favorites. She gave it to me, and because she recommended it, I couldn't read it. Like, it was, it's, <laughs> like, if you read The Princess Bride, the same thing is in it of just, like, a parent giving it to you with such high expectations that you're like, not at all. I can't, not even a little bit interested. But I loved it, and I loved that the opening paragraph, she says, even picnics were untidy and inconvenient. All those insects and sun melting the icing on the cupcakes, which I loved. There was so much like, sensory description in the book. Mm-hmm. Like you could really feel the feelings, like the smells, the sights, the sounds, and like the discomfort and the pleasure in those things, yeah. which I think is really cool to be able to like feel as you're reading. Jamie, her brother that she runs away with, is introduced as compared to her other brothers, Rich. Unlike most boys his age, he had never even begun collecting baseball cards. And I wrote in my notes, oh my gosh, this is so funny. She's comparing it to like drinking or gambling. And then like a chapter later, it Jamie is gambling. He, <laughs> he's doing exactly that. The cheater gambler. Yeah. But I wanted to ask, did you ever have a plan like this with your brother? Is there any similarities that you saw between you and Claudia, but also relationships? I definitely just really related to this like older sister feeling kind of dismissed or devalued by the family unit as a whole. Just kind of like so much of your day-to-day life like keeps on turning because of me and you don't even know it and you don't realize it and like my brother's six years younger than me so we were never at the like age points where like he would be running away with me like that was not um (laughs) everything didn't line up but I do feel like there is this kind of older sibling younger sibling thing where when you're the older sibling you feel like you know everything and you only have to teach them and then you learn kind of from knowing them that there's so much you can learn from someone younger and also that two people who have like experienced the same upbringing can turn out really different and that is like a really fascinating concept Mm -hmm. and I think like my brother and I are extremely different but also have so much in common you know and I think it's like a very sweet like older sister younger brother story and I definitely related to that much of it and also this like longing for newness was something that just really resonated with me I grew up like an hour outside of LA and I always just felt like from like a very early age I was like I can't wait for college because I get to leave like and see so much more and that was something that I didn't necessarily feel like everybody around me growing up felt and so I think I definitely felt very seen by that One of the first things that she says is living in the suburbs taught her that everything costs. Um, (laughs) One of the things that she's running away from, she says, is injustice, which is sounds very big, but you're right in that she like serves a very utilitarian purpose in the family. She's a third parent. I'm an only child, but she reminded me so much of Beth on Welcome to Flatch because a lot of this was cut or didn't end up in the final show, but Beth has she's the oldest sibling has all of these younger sisters and younger brothers her mom is just like cranking out babies left and right they've got a whole dairy and so she becomes an extra parent and is having to do all of this and it was I miss Beth so much it was really nice to be back in her head for a second she says she's running away from injustice and the monotony of everything Mm -hmm. which felt so 
so much like childhood. I think childhood felt like so slow, especially we're reading this in early August or mid-August, I guess. And I think that was like the slowest time of year of just waiting and waiting. For school to start mm-hmm. again. I don't know about you, but I was like one of the most easily bored children of all time. Like yeah. parents would fear for summer. Like kids love summer because you can do whatever you want. But I was just so, the, the afternoon that school got out, I would just be like kicking my feet, kicking and screaming. Like I'm so bored. And I just really like always is like, I want to be sucked into some great adventure. And I still feel like I'm an easily bored person, but we have so much, we have so much like technology and yeah. stuff. It's so much easier to just like get your dopamine hit now. But I definitely really related to that. Just like fed up with everything and also fed up with nothing and just like wanting an escape from that. Her mother's friends described New York as exhausting and made them nervous which same (laughs) very nervous I actually read the book on the plane coming back to New York wow that was like cute and sweet and it was funny because they met in the book the met is free yes (laughs) not free anymore (laughs) they're talking about saving money for the trip Claudia is all about planning which I felt very seen by like apparently every birthday party I had growing up I cried Because I would, like, plan it so much, and I would plan dialogue for each other. I would plan, like, where we're going to go, who's going to sit where, and of course it never went through. (laughs) I love the way that they talk about class in this book, because I don't think it, like, makes exact, like, like, necessarily a concrete argument, but it's it's such an ever-present part of it. Mm-hmm. I think there's just this like kind of discourse that I think comes up a lot now, honestly, but I don't think people are really talking about money so much before, but of this kind of like being really anxious about money, but also having this like impulse to overspend, which I really also <laughs> relate to just like when I'm not spending money, I'm anxious about it. And when I am spending money, I'm like, woo, this is fun. Yeah. And as soon as it's like over, I'm like, oh no, I just like spent so much money. And I just think there is this kind of commentary on that obviously everything they start with like 27 dollars and it like lasts them for so long a week yeah but, <laughs> which is not inflation has done a lot to money but it is interesting like the way that they explore money and then also like when they go working go showering in the fountain yeah. like go dig up money like just these kind of means to get by are like really funny when you're a kid like worrying about money because usually that's already taken care of for you and I also just liked the setting of the museum bringing in all kinds of people that they don't normally see in their like suburban life. What was your relationship with like museums as a kid? I feel like I mostly only went to them when my family was traveling or like on school field trips I definitely felt like I'm was maybe a little too loud and chaotic for museums. Like I was always like, ah, like I have to contain myself. But I always loved the concept of just like being able to see so much art. Mm-hmm. I think I started to enjoy them more as I got older because when I was younger, I felt like there was one right way to experience them and I maybe wasn't doing it right. Like I didn't understand enough and I wasn't like moved enough and I couldn't like stand still and stare at something for so long. But now I'm like, you know, that's not the one way to experience a museum. But I definitely always really liked art. And I really liked that the stories of museums just that like there's so much stuff with such insane history all in one place. Like that is a fascinating concept. I loved just the idea of books set in a museum, the cast of characters. I also worked in a museum during college and I was so stressed the whole time as they're like sitting in these antique beds and I was like, they cannot handle it guys. They're... And the oil on your fingers is going to mess it up. Which I think also is very indicative of the kind of child I was and the person I still am today. I think it, it definitely were making me, it was like one of those books where when I read it as a kid, I was like, oh, they're going to get caught. They're going to get caught. But I, I was very always like fascinated by the plans I was like she's they've thought it through though they she really does standing on these toilets and they have their little workarounds for where they're going to put their instrument cases that they've carried and on the bus on the way there and all of that which is so fun but my one of my favorite parts about this story is the introduction later on of Mm -hmm. Mrs. Basil E. Frankweiler 
because she's there the whole time and you're like who's talking to me yeah I don't know <laughs> this that was like just such a I want to say a movie magic moment but it's not yeah me. that whole layer of things was a fun little that also brings in like kind of an element of class to it because also I read this and I'm assuming these kids are like upper class children yeah. living in the suburbs of New York then that too like they're adventure is so influenced by this woman who is so fine that she doesn't need to investigate the truth of a potentially Michelangelo life-changing amount of money art piece. I love that she is a corn oil industry widow on class. They're talking about all this money. Claudia talks about like she's she'll make do with the good humor bars at home as a sacrifice from not going to the ice cream parlor. They complain like other kids don't lose their allowance because they have maids who instead of a cleaning lady who cleans twice a week. I was like, wow, we had a cleaning lady who came once every two weeks yeah, and only to force my mom to put things away. Yeah. I loved her going through her parents' trash, which is a thing I did. I was an only child I had a lot of time to myself at home which is my favorite thing ever so I would just snoop like I found the Christmas gift locations it was delightful yeah I was a big child snooper as well I also found my parents gifts for me before they were time but my family's like not religious in any way so my family was giving me Christmas gifts as Santa because like other kids were whatever but like the one year that I snooped and found out that they had bought me the gifts and figured it out that was the last year I got gifts. So I was like, I'm never snooping again. Like, I'm never. Oh, no. I ruined, I ruined it for myself by figuring it out, by snooping too much. Man, that is such a, a perfect encapsulation of, like, loss of innocence right there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I actually, so I double-headered this plane from New York here. I read this book on the first half of the plane and the second half of the plane I watched Are You There God It's Me Margaret mm-hmm. and I think they are really great in conjunction They're both New York suburbs childhood like adolescence stories about wanting to be the same but also wanting to be special like wanting yeah. to feel special and loved but that sounds like a great like double feature and that was that book written by Judy Bloom mm-hmm. yeah I read the book yeah. when I was a kid but I the movie had just come out this mm-hmm. year and it was like on on the airplane and I was like okay I wanted to watch that so I love that I don't know that I ever read Judy Bloom maybe like one like Ramona book somewhere but it didn't it didn't hit for me Are You There God It's Me Margaret is really just about an anxious agnostic girl and I feel like I really <laughs> really relate <laughs> yeah I loved the character of Jamie I loved that anytime I read his lines I have to be like chain smoking he's like make it complicated Claude I don't like complications I do relate like you're talking about the brother sister relationship like Mm -hmm. I do feel like I am the older sister to a younger brother who is like a boomer like that is his tone and mindset and like attitude (laughs) I did really relate to that like this kid is like years beyond his age and my brother's also like that he is what now 19 but you talk to him and he feels older than my parents you know <laughs> his taste his thoughts just like the way he speaks is so funny like that I really saw that in Jamie as well his title kept getting like grander as time passed so he went from like treasurer to chancellor of the exchequer within yeah. like a, a chapter I love that he called wearing shoes all the time tyranny they and, both and- were anti-injustice yes Jamie has such a a clarity of what he wants, of what he likes and what he doesn't like. And I think Claudia is getting into that place where you start to lose that a little bit, Mm -hmm. or it just gets harder to put a concrete name on what you need and want. Meeting the social norms of like her life and the expectations that people have of her that it's maybe harder and harder to like identify those likes and dislikes as opposed to what feels like put on you. But I feel like she definitely has them and you like see them come out absolutely there's a moment where she's wearing her winter coat because it's cold outside but she's getting sweaty the book says Claudia needed an argument her internal heat the heat of anger was cooking that accumulated carbon dioxide and it would explode out of her if she didn't give it some vent adored that adored it especially like I felt exactly that physical part but also that I like 
that's Mrs. Frank Weiler writing, but that's such a, I think, a helpful insight if you're a child to like lay out thoughts that way. Of mm-hmm. She needs an argument, not because necessarily there is something wrong or unjust. She just needs to get that out and vent it. I loved that. Yeah, I think in general, the narrator of Mrs. Baisley Frankweiler is just so like charitable to these children in a way that is really thoughtfully explains like all their emotions and motives. And it makes them feel so relatable even when you're an adult. Not knowing who the narrator is from the beginning. I don't think a lot of children's authors do that. You you have to, as a writer at that point, say like, I trust my audience to to figure it out, to get there, to understand the story regardless. And I think it's so nice that E.L. Konigsberg gives us an adult who, like you said, is so generous with them. And like, hearing an adult be that way towards children, I think was was probably something like, very heartening to read as a kid I don't know how it made me feel as a kid but definitely Mm -hmm. looking back like I definitely had like deep distrust and discomfort around adults particularly older ones and I don't know where that comes from just like I always felt like I was a kid that adults didn't like and maybe that comes from like being difficult (laughs) or or whatever not in any way that was like I just often felt like adults were like okay you're smart but you're like too much and you're pushing the boundaries too much And so to read that and like have this adult who's like kind of, you know, like annoyed with them, but playful and like kind and compassionate the whole way through is definitely very nice to see. And also there's like definitely reading it. There's clues. Like, first of all, the book Mm -hmm. is called From the Mix of Files to Mrs. Basley Frankweiler. And you're half through the book and you're like, who is Mrs. Basley Frankweiler? Why haven't we seen or heard anything from her? But also she like addresses her lawyer a few times in the beginning. Mm -hmm. And there's just like little clues where you're kind of like, what's going on here? And it definitely like makes you want to turn the page and like get to that and figure it out. It really is a page turner. There's a lot of sensory stuff with Claudia that I noticed. Like it's just, I feel like she has to be physically comfortable in her clothes and Mm -hmm. like her surroundings to be like thinking straight, which I really understood. Like I was definitely the kind of kid where like I would have such tantrums if like, my mom came home from Target with like underwear that was like hugging at my butt in the wrong way, you know? <laughs> and like I would ruin adults' days because like my socks were falling off of my foot a little bit. <laughs> yeah. I think also when you're a kid, if you're prone to feeling like that, yeah. and if that is like w- more day ruining than like yeah. any big thing. Like I hadn't noticed that about Claudia being like she's obviously not talking but so much of Claudia's experiences including that really sensation-based writing I didn't I hadn't noticed that something that I just related to just like highly sensitive and I don't mean that in like the way that sensitive is like tossed around normally like emotionally sensitive which she is a little bit like that too but I think like she's just like she gets too hot and she has to start a fight like you know he's just like things that's like ah like to build up inside her like when you are a kid there's so little in your control that at least your clothing should be the things touching your body it's such a maybe a little dignity thing of like I have so little control just let me have clothes that I like that feel good on me Mm -hmm. because I remember this is like one of my great big therapy questions I was mortified terrified thought I would die if I wore a skirt when I was younger Mm -hmm. I don't know why I know like in second grade a boy told a girl, not even me, I was an observer, that he could see her underwear because she was wearing a skirt. And that's the only thing I can contribute it to. But yeah, fear of being caught. Yeah. I don't think I had anything like that, but I definitely had just, I was definitely the kind of kid that was like, I want to wear this like Christmas holiday party dress to go hiking. Like, and I will not stand for it if you don't let me. I'll wear the right shoes, but like, why? <laughs> with me wearing this to go for a trek like I don't really understand like I'm doing the same like I don't so my parents just kind of became the people that they were like fine like I guess this is what you're gonna do and there's like pictures of me going hiking in like my party dress and like I had this one like jacket that had dog ears on it that was just like meant to be like your bed like in your bed you play with that I was like I'm gonna wear that everywhere and just like things like that (laughs) I had to wear certain things like all the time mm-hmm. gets the, like some of the only agency you have as a kid my parents were pretty good about like they weren't really forcing me to wear anything I didn't want to wear like 
they were forcing me sometimes to wear categories of clothes I didn't yeah. want to wear. Like within those categories, I like had choice. But also when you're kids, it's so easy to like, I think kids tend to like pick on each other for clothes mm-hmm. often. Because it's like yeah. one of the only things that you have to like yeah. just see and, and take apart. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When I like put my foot down to my mom and I was like, I'm not going to wear skirts. We would like be in stores and she'd be like, this would look so nice on you. Hmm. If only. Yeah. But now I wear dresses and um, I don't tell them because I don't want a conversation about it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I don't keep secrets from my parents. Like, and, and secrets is such a big thing in this book because I don't want them to know or something like that. It's because I just don't want to talk about it. Like, I don't want to yeah. have to explain myself or things like that yeah yeah I feel the same way because I just know if I tell them something sometimes like it'll open up a whole line of questioning that I don't want to open up but I also feel this thing where it's like things I didn't like or didn't do as a kid that I now have discovered I like but I don't really want to tell my parents about it like I don't want to open up the conversation because then they'll be like but you didn't like this as a kid and I'm like then I have to explain like I was a kid you know like also when you're a kid just like you don't always like give things a real chance so yeah. I, I, I relate to that <laughs> for sure and I just feel like there's just sometimes like it's like a weird little pride thing like but you used to not be like this but like, yeah like whatever it's let me yeah. <laughs> I've changed my next note is I guess this is a, a Frank Weiler observation she says often the search proves more profitable than the goal which is the friends we made along the way. And there are these like really crystal clear nuggets of a very deep and important philosophy. And she doesn't coat them in an elaborate metaphor. They're, they're there. And the characters are trying to figure them out in the same way that we are. At that same portion, the kids are trying to be in a school group so that they can learn about the museum from docents, but not be found. And they describe this art of being near but never a part of a group which is a practical thing in this instance but it broke my heart to feel near but never part of a group I definitely really not related to that but I think there was always for me as a kid like there's a quote that my dad would always say like you you don't want membership to a group that'll have you as a member I don't know what the exact quote is but I definitely felt like there was something so like curious and a challenge about like trying to be a part of something that I never could be a part of, which was always a little bit heartbreaking. But I also do think to this day, I always feel like every year on my birthday, it's like 25 different kinds of people that I know from all these things. And then like, they don't really know each other and like all these communities that maybe I am not fully a part of, but like feel near to. And it is like a kind of community and also a kind of loneliness at the same time that I think is like a little bit beautiful and I think that when you're a kid you definitely feel that way a lot especially when you're like like Claudia is and seeing like Jamie is like mature children I do think you are kind of othered from certain elements of childhood yeah and also othered from adulthood my parents would always say like either like you're old enough now so we're blah 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 blah. or like you're not old enough to blah and I'm like which one is it yeah (laughs) you know you can't use both (laughs) there's like adult logic to kids that doesn't make sense like that you you are genuinely trying to make sense of what is the age where things change like give me a number Mm-hmm. And it's not there. Like the, a huge narrative thread is Jamie knows for certain that this sculpture that they find knows for sure it's Michelangelo. But would his opinion be accepted by the experts? That is such an overarching theme, not just in this book, but in many of like, I know something to be true. And yet adults are the ones who like get to decide definitively what is true. Yeah. Um, the letter that they write to mm-hmm. the museum that they mistype yeah have like to cross out and rewrite and then the letter that they get back that is just like totally addressed normally and they're like it would have been better if they were mean to us like yeah. like rejection as an adult like as a peer is like so much more stings a little more than just being like told you know you're young it stings different 
-hmm. but I thought that was like so cute and I also think that that's relatable even when you're not a child anymore Mm -hmm. just like kind of feeling like sometimes your opinions aren't worthy or don't matter I also think it was like interesting like this is obviously a rich white girl in in the Mm -hmm. 60s but so much of those feelings are applicable now to me like I feel just like I know I am smart and I have all these good thoughts and like interesting opinions and whatever but I know like there will always be these like barriers to entry and like certain topics of conversation and like people are gonna underestimate you and like where do you get the confidence even if you like have the gusto like where do you get like confidence and like assuredness when like there's no source of that in the world yeah or someone like you and I think like to be a, a rich white girl in the 60s is similar you know it's like, kind of sad that like it feels like you were saying like it was released in like the summer of love and you know like all these interracial uh, marriage banning laws were like released and it, it felt like such a hopeful moment in time and this like book feels so hopeful there's so much like hope about the future just kind of baked into it like these are the kids that are going to grow up and like change the world which is just kind of always like we hope that of young people but we don't like always give them the tools to do that when like young people are the ones with like the most hope and drive to change the world yeah the end of the book they sort of adopt mrs frank weiler to be their new grandma that relationship maybe could be by definition transactional but i think it is nice that as like Jamie and Claudia could be like, we can do something for this adult. Like we have value and something that we can give to them and make them their life better. I think that must be just really validating. And I think like coming from her where she feels like undervalued and like not her family isn't grateful for her. And there's so many kids and to then meet a woman who never had kids and feels like maybe that's something she's missing. It's like you do start to feel like, oh, like I'm maybe more wanted and more like appreciated than I thought. And like in this context of like my parents who are running around all the time, like taking care of four kids, like it's different than somebody who like can see me as an individual in a more concrete way. There's a, a line when she's planning everything. She says like, I'll come back when everyone has learned a lesson in Claudia appreciation. Oh, I love it. And she also has to learn that lesson. Yeah. I loved the detail of Jamie finds a Hershey bar and Claudia immediately says it's poison or marijuana. Um, <laughs> which, like I didn't expect to come out of a child in the 60s, but I guess, yeah, they're they're aware of what marijuana yeah. is. People are still talking about razor blades and candy every Halloween, even now. Yeah, I think there's just like so much like danger. She's got fear, a lot yeah. of fear. I wonder if this is an older sibling thing or I was talking to a friend. I think this might also just be a female thing of like, it is your job to think of all the consequences of like, Mm -hmm. as the older sister, like for Jamie, this is just a candy bar, but it's my responsibility to make sure that he is okay. So I have to be running through all the consequences all the time, which is just not fair. Yeah. No, No, I love the moment when they're in the bathroom stalls and there's something going wrong and Jamie sends a mental message to her and she gets it I teared up did you like have anything like that with your brother not really no <laughs> but I do think that there is just sometimes this kind of like unspoken language that you have with your siblings where you kind of like look at each other and you're like I, I know and I also think you kind of inherit similar procedural coping mechanisms and things like that that are all kind of like you impulsively or like instinctually do kind of similar things when like you're under stress maybe because you've been raised by the same people and like the same circumstances even though you're raised a little different you kind of adapt to things similarly sometimes I've never had like a telepathy moment with my brother but sometimes like we've come to the same things individually and been like oh we handled that in the same way or like the same thought about that I also just like about Claudia so much just Mm -hmm. like the heightened sense of wonder and like dreaminess Mm -hmm. of her held at the same time as the like so much fear and anxiety which I just really like to this day relate to so much like it's like I want to do everything but also everything is so scary which is kind of a fact of life but it is very like a beautiful human experience to be trying to like have the biggest dreams and biggest life imaginable and also just being kind of afraid of everything 
of wanting the most magical and also being afraid of maybe what you wish for. Yeah, it's it's everything's terrifying. And I think the kind of crux of the book is wanting to be different and this idea of difference. There's this moment where they're trying to decide whether, you know, we leave the museum or not. But Claudia says, the difference is not enough. Like being born with perfect pitch or being born very ordinary and then winning the Congressional Medal of Honor or getting an Academy Award. Those are differences that will last a lifetime. Finding out about Angel will be that kind of difference. And then Jamie says, I think you're different already, Claude. I cried. What's prefacing that is like going to grandpa's, going to summer camp. It never changes the world that you're coming back to, the self that you're coming back to, the the person that your parents know and expect you to be. She um, won't go home different. Yeah. Yeah. Because this is a phenomenal thing. She's in the newspaper. It is so huge. And to have all of that and come back just with yourself. I don't know how to put it into words, but yeah, you feel that sting still. I think that like I you always kind of hope something big will happen to you and like mm-hmm. your life is like a movie you want to be the main character you know that's kind of how I think she she is experiencing mm-hmm. long before sociologists would ever call it this main character syndrome yep, absolutely <laughs> um, and yeah I like do think that there is just like she especially when you're like from some place where you feel like everyone's the same everything's the same every day is the same like you want something that even if other people don't think it's special like it's enough to make you feel good about yourself and feel confident about yourself to get through to whatever the next thing is just reading about this I was just reflecting a lot on my own childhood in a way where I was like I think like when I was really young I was definitely like not very cool or very liked or whatever but definitely even when I was in high school like I think like I had I had friends and I did well in school and all this stuff but it was just kind of like I know there's Mm -hmm. more and I'm looking for something bigger than this and I think that is like just uh, sorry to invoke Hamilton, but like, don't, go for it, go for it. Never be satisfied, you know, like this endless curiosity. Kendall Roy is so Claudia Kincaid coded. Yeah, true. <laughs> I love that you brought up Hamilton because Jamie says specifically, you're never satisfied, Claude. If you get all A's, you wonder where are the pluses. Yeah. Which, oh, gutted me. Very close to home. And I didn't notice this until I was prepping today. The book is dedicated to our husband, David, to David with love and pluses. Aww. So cute. Um, they yeah. met at a meatpacking plant. Um, <laughs> I'm so moved by their relationship. At one point, Jamie says, well, you've known me as long as I've known me. So mm-hmm. he, you know, he trusts her judgment of him. And I, you know, only child, there must be something very comforting in that idea if you do believe that this person, you know, knows you inside and out. Because I think the self can be very hard to know Mm -hmm. to have this person who has been there, who's shared all the same experiences or most of the same experiences. It was so tender. And I like I've been jealous of people with siblings. I think mostly because I was bored growing up, like you said, like it was very lonely. But I was jealous of the just the intimacy and the love and the trust between them. I was very moved. I definitely think there's also something really beautiful about how your younger sibling sees you. Because I think as an older sibling, it definitely feels like a lot of responsibility and a lot of pressure to like be this kind of third parent sometimes like to your siblings and be a good representative of how things are going to go and like also to please your parents and all this stuff and my brother I feel like is much more of like the kid of my parents like he's much more like them in terms of interests and stuff I think maybe personality wise like we're both a reflection of our parents but interest wise I always think he's the kid they wanted and all this stuff and I always like thought of that like had that narrative in my head mm-hmm. and had that narrative like around my parents like they must be so glad like they have this kid now but my brother I think was like always filled with like wonder that like I did all these things like no one in my family did and like to hear that from him made me feel so much more like I'm gonna cry I'm tearing up (laughs) more like he never would say this like in earnest Mm -hmm. you know but like I would be like oh like what do you mean like they're upset with you like 
your grades like you're taking AP physics like I never took that and he was like you're like a star like you're doing so many big things like no one in our family would ever like dream of that and like I think you are like being <laughs> he was like you're being stupid right now like mm-hmm. the things that you were good at like I'll never be good at and, like no one in our family is good at so like it's hard to <laughs> feel bad for you <laughs> he would like say things like that to me. <laughs> I need a tissue <laughs> yeah go get a tissue go get a tissue I'm me too this is the first time anyone's cried surprisingly okay (laughs) but I'm so glad you had someone to tell you that because he's absolutely right (laughs) well no I know you to be a very courageous person thank you like to put yourself out there requires a lot of gumption and faith and I just really admire it. Thank you. I appreciate it. I'm really glad you have that, that someone is there for you. Yeah. And I feel like my brother's like not really like an emotionally forthcoming person, but like you got these glimpses sometimes into these things. So I also like see a lot in this book. Like it's Mm -hmm. very touching. Like he's not as emotionally intelligent as her maybe, but like he'll just say these things about her that I'm sure like make her feel like somebody sees her. Yeah. And that's beautiful. And I think a very nice thing about having siblings. Yeah. And I think that's that's all you want as a kid and, and as an adult is to be seen and understood exactly as you are. And I think to be understood sort of like intuitively and automatically, which who could do but a sibling? Yeah. And it's just like the whole thing of just wanting someone to understand you, but also wanting to be so complex and fascinating that it's like impossible to be understood. All those things at the same time. I just like this character, like this character just is so, I hope she grew up and was like very in touch with her inner child, you know? Mm -hmm. I hope so. She is such a mature child and I'm facing the thing of like, was I ever a child really? Did I ever like, you know, run around and do that? And that's sort of why I'm doing this podcast. And I I think she has an adult sort of mind and perspective and yet is still chasing adventure and those that imagination. Like running away from home thing. It's Mm -hmm. like child um like fantasy, you know. Mm -hmm. And we all talked about it, but she did it. She did it in a big way. My heart broke a lot in this. But at one point, Claudia says, I haven't had a decent picture taken since I've been able to walk. And later says, mother never even bought my school picture the last two years. Jesus Christ. Somebody get that girl help. That's awful. Oh, my God. Yeah. I also, like, I'm imagining, like, it's so it's long before the phone era of like, yeah. constant snaps. The picture in the newspaper being so old. <laughs> it was so fun. It's also, like, the passage of time when you're a kid is so mm-hmm. big. Yeah, I mean, two years is, as a kid, that's, like, change you want to document. Things don't move like that when you're an adult. I remember hearing this once, like, when I was in middle school. Someone told me this, and it kind of, like, blew my mind. But, like, every day as you get older is less and less of your life proportionally. But when you're a kid, like, one day is a big amount of time. Like, time moves so slowly in the moment and then so fast in retrospect, kind of wild. Absolutely. Like I've seen babies who are born in like 2020 mm-hmm. and it's like, you are like full, like you are taught, you are, you are kids now. And like, you were once, you were just like, ju- like I blinked. I feel like me, I look the same, you know, <laughs> yeah. but <laughs> you are a whole person now, you know, that's really crazy. Yeah. I love that when they meet Mrs. Basil Frankweiler, Claudia wants to hold on to this secret of where they were so tight. And at one point she says, if I tell, then I know for sure that my adventure is over and I don't want it to be over until I'm sure I've had enough, which is so, so relatable and universal. But I love Frankweiler's response because it's hard, you know, kind of rough and adult, but also very gentle and true. She says, the adventure is over everything gets over and nothing is ever enough except the part you carry with you. Wow. Wow. And that Frank Weiler understands this importance of secrets so well that they're talking about, you know, why did you sell the statue for like $200? And she says, I need having the secret more than I need the money. And that secrets make you different on the inside where it counts. One of the big takeaways is like kids deserve things that are their own. Mm-hmm. Um, Kids deserve, like, a private internal world 
Mm-hmm. She was just dropping so many bits of knowledge and wisdom. There's like, happiness is excitement that has found a settling down place, but there is always a little corner that keeps flapping around. Oh my god! I was just thinking about my dog when I read that. I remember just like a little corner that keeps flapping around, <laughs> just twitching. Yeah. Um, it's like ooh. there were so many times where I was like, "Oh, that's an insightful thing," and then I like I was reading on my iPad Kindle app, and there were so many parts where it was like ninety nine percent of readers highlighted. <laughs> quote it was just like the the wisdoms yeah the last wisdom that I took from it this is a longer quote but she says I think you should learn of course and some days you must learn a great deal but you should also have days when you allow what is already in you to swell up inside of you until it touches everything and you can feel it inside you and if you never take time out to let that happen then you just accumulate facts and they begin to rattle around inside of you you can make noise with them but never really feel anything with them it's hollow what a <laughs> what a takeaway and i think also like in in terms of looking at kids i took it to sort of be like you can trust yourself. You can trust the things that are already there. You can trust your intuition and and that the things that are already inside of you. I think as a kid, there's so much on the future. There's so much looking forward of the person you will be. And I think Frank Weiler and Konigsberg is saying the person you already are matters. I'm so glad that somebody said it and it's out there and that I got to read it. I think that like quote is like just so beautiful and I also just think it's also just like really like a trust your emotional experience your emotional experience is rooted in all the knowledge you've accumulated and if you're someone that's like interested in learning and interested in learning about yourself like you will acquire that knowledge just by being curious and then you should let yourself live in the moments of experiencing life through the lens that you have created and not just seek to know, no, 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 because then you never experience life. Yeah. And I think that is like, especially for kids, like it's, it's beautiful to hear, but like when you're an adult and after the point that you've reached where like, I feel like I'm finally getting out of this hump, which is just like, once you've graduated college or whatever the goal is in your like childhood life, that's like, you got to get to this goal. Then you're like, I'm just floundering in the universe with like no end in sight. But it's like, you got to just trust like everything I've learned and everything I know was all for a purpose. And like, I learned something, I did something. And like, now I'm I'm just going to be, I'm just going to live in the moment sometimes. And like, that is okay to do. I was capable enough to get myself here and I will be capable enough to get myself to the next place. Yeah. My last thing is, how do you feel about the the motherhood aspect that comes in at the very end with Frank Weiler never having had kids and and finding, because I think she says something that I have heard many people say, it's like, I don't, I'm not really interested in being a parent, I'm very interested in being a grandparent. And I don't know how I feel about it. I think like, maybe I'm just trying to find something to be divisive about in terms of motherhood you know like not all women have to be mothers but I don't know I think this book was like written so clearly from like a place of like a mother loving her children and like wanting the best for her children so I think that definitely colors like the whole book that you're reading especially because you never see parents in the book Mm -hmm. like it's not about parents like about kids like own experience and then you kind of experience that I have not thought far enough about like Mm -hmm. do I want kids or not like I feel like people have such strong feelings about it but I don't really have like I feel like if it happens it happens it doesn't happen it doesn't happen like I'm living in the moment right now I'm not like trying to plan for that in any way but I do think like relationships with kids are very important to me and like I've loved babysitting and stuff and I just think there is something you gain differently from knowing a child that is not your responsibility Mm -hmm. and there is like something very beautiful about just like being able to like access their wisdom without having to like be there is kind of a dampening of that that happens are their parent like you are responsible for every inch of their life and I think that that was what kind of allowed Mrs. Basilie Frank Weller to to really see them and like hear them and not like be panicked stressed out like ah like I would take these kids back home Mm -hmm. but just like really like understand and like experience the mindset of kids who like are not fettered by the limitations of adulthood but I don't I don't know I don't think think it lends like a strong like you Mm -hmm. have mother kind of purpose like but I do think there is like, it's important to like have 
not relationships with children, but like, yeah. like be open-minded to like hearing mm-hmm. children, like, and like treating them like people that you get perspective from and hear from and like take seriously, even if you're not and especially are if you are a parent, like, I think that there is like kind of a, a parents don't always like get to see that wonder in their own children sometimes, but like there it's there. So I don't know. I think there's like a way more of a motherhood thing in Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret, which is what I followed with. But I I think also like it was written in the 60s, right? Like I think there's a very at that point in time like all an issue. Yeah. yeah so final question do you consider this required reading <laughs> I feel like I'm like it's like I'm such a not black and white thinker I'm like oh, it's required or not like you should read it if you want to read it yeah. <laughs> um but I do think like particularly if you are a woman and felt like in a family like you were kind of early made into like a very like a mature for your age child I think it is really, it resonated with me a lot for that reason. Just kind of this like anxious children. I really feel very, I'm like, oh my gosh, like, mm-hmm. I love you so much and like, I want the best for you. And I also just think there's so, if you like art history, like there's, it's such a beautiful book. We don't Absolutely. even like all that, but like it is like a really just cool book about the Renaissance art. Mm-hmm. Like there's just so much cool stuff there and there's like, all this cool reading you can do about Michelangelo afterwards if you want. And I think that's really great. I also just love, you know, any piece of media that treats like children's issues as seriously and as beautifully as adults' issues. Like I think this is like a, a book that children and adults like will equally relate to and find Absolutely. like charming. After I read this again, I was like, there is a movie, right? Like there has to be, but there is one, but it's so old and I feel like they shouldn't make a new one. Yeah. I just feel like there could be so many I just like see so much like cool yeah uh, but oh I definitely think it's a really great book and I'm glad that I got to revisit it so thanks for allowing me the chance to oh my gosh thank you so much for picking this I loved this book so deeply I think required reading absolutely just just for being a great fun read even just on the basis of that I thought I loved it's this it's so book. easy to read too like mm-hmm. I feel like I just kind of get stressed out sometimes by like how much books ask of you but this is like fun delightful you learn something new on every page but also it's over quick and it's like easy to understand absolutely yeah great and accessible do you have anything to plug yeah I mean I right now I'm fundraising for my short film that's called California Sober it's like a buddy comedy short film so if you're interested in following along supporting whatever you can follow it on instagram at cali sober film or twitter at cali sober film and otherwise i'm always doing shows in la and lots of random stuff that you can keep up with everywhere on um all platforms show me the yams yams y-a-m-z thank you for coming thank you for bringing this book into my life thank you i'm glad i'm glad